Welcome to Doctors of the Church. In this fascinating series, Father Charles Connor examines the lives and writings of all 33 Doctors of the Church, including St. Thomas Aquinas, Teresa of Avila, John of the Cross, and Catherine of Siena. Now, here's Father Connor. As we conclude this series on the Doctors of the Church, we will consider the Church's newest, most recent doctor. She was proclaimed a Doctor of the Church by His Holiness Pope John Paul II in 1997. She said that only when time was no more would her work be done, but before then she would never ever be able to relax her efforts. She said she intended to spend her entire heaven doing good on earth. And millions and millions of people can attest to the veracity of that statement. Millions of people living today who have devotion to her. Pope St. Pius X called her the greatest saint of modern times. And he was not the Pope to canonize her. He made that statement ten years before she was a canonized saint of the church. And he had, in effect, canonized her by his very words. Her name was Therese Martin. If she were living in America, we would call her Teresa Martin. The world knows her as St. Therese of Lisieux, the little flower. She is the most recent, the 33rd doctor of the church. And we finish this series by telling you of her life and why this, this marvelous, unique spiritual view that she has given to the world has made her a doctor of the church. St. John of the Cross, her fellow Carmelite, who incidentally influenced her thinking very, very much in the course of her life. Well, Therese Martin, the saint whom the whole world loves, she predicted the whole world would love her, and she was absolutely right. It's interesting to be in the small lace-making town of Alençon in Normandy, in France, to walk through the streets of that town, off the beaten path somewhat, and come to St. Leonard's Bridge. You walk over St. Leonard's Bridge in Alençon, and you get a feel for what happened there in the 19th century. A young lady was walking down one side of the bridge, and a young man was walking up the other side. The young girl caught sight of the man, and she said, he's the man for me. He's the man I'm someday going to marry. The girl's name was Zélie Garen. The young man, Louis Martin. And today, if you go to Lisieux, and you see the magnificent basilica on the top of the hill that was built with contributions from Therese's devotees from all over the world, you just walk to the back of the basilica and climb the hill, and there you will find the graves of Louis Martin and his wife, Zélie. Their cause is they being very seriously considered for sainthood. Such a marvelous couple were they, such a marvelous family did they produce. Well, this is where it all began, on St. Leonard's Bridge in the town of Alençon. Louis Martin had come from a family that originated in Bordeaux, lived in Alençon for a while, lived in Strasbourg, and then came back to Alençon. Zélie Garen 
had been there all of her life in that town. And as we said, it was a center of lace-making, the very, very intricate, intricate uh, work that you do not see done anymore, of handmade lace, or you rarely see it done. But Alençon was the center of that industry in their time. They were married. Louis had once thought that he had a vocation to be a priest. But he had very serious academic problems with Latin. In those days, it was so tremendously important to know a great deal of Latin. And it was thought that it would be more providential if he did not continue his vocation. Zaylee had thought of entering a convent, but for various reasons, it was thought that that was not the course God was calling her to. Interestingly, when they were first married, they continued to maintain a vow of celibacy, both of them. They lived as brother and sister. And it was a spiritual director, a priest, who said, no, that is not the married life. And thanks be to God for them, they did enter into the married life. When you consider the remarkable, remarkable family they produced. There were nine children in all, uh, in all, five survived, and four died as infants. You can visit the graves of the four infants to this day in the town cemetery of Lisieux. And Therese, in the course of her life, attributed the answers to many, many prayers to her four angels, the little brothers and sisters, who she never knew, who were in heaven. Well, five children did survive. They were all born in Alençon and baptized in the magnificent church of St. Mary's in the town square. You can go into that church today. You can see where Therese was baptized. You can go down the Rue Saint-Blaise, the street of St. Blaise, and you come to the house where little Therese was born on the 2nd of January, 1873. You walk through the house and get a very good feel for it. You walk in the front door, and you see the, you see the desk, or rather the, the uh, craftsman's desk, I guess we would call it, where Zaylee often sat and engaged in her lace knitting, lace manufacture. She could look right out on the street and see the passers-by. Her husband, Louis Martin, by the way, was a jeweler. He was a maker of watches and fine jewelry and clocks and the like, and made a very, very good living at it. And you get the feel for all of this as you go through the Martin home in Alençon. You walk out of the house, next door, up the steps, into a magnificent chapel. And as you are standing in the chapel, you look to your right, and you see the room in which Therese was born. It's a staggering kind of a feeling, really, to stand there and realize that you were actually there on the spot where this remarkable young woman was born. She spent the first four and a half years of her life in Alençon in a very, very happy family atmosphere. And we should say a bit, too, about the wonderful family into which she was born. They were so remarkable. She had sisters. They were all girls, the five of them. First, she had her sister, Marie, who would become Sister Marie of the Sacred Heart in the Ligue Carmel. Then she had her sister Pauline, who would become Mother Agnes of Jesus, and who for some time was Therese's superior. And then after Therese's death, just in deference to her departed saintly sister, she remained the superior of the Carmel for the rest of her days. She had her sister Celine, 
who became Sister Genevieve. She was an expert photographer. And she was allowed to bring her camera to the Ligia Carmel with her. And we have so many original photographs of Therese and original photographs of the sisters, the 21 of them who were in the Ligia Carmel in her time. We have what one spiritual writer has called an embarrassment of riches. An embarrassment of riches on St. Therese. So many original photos do we have in addition to all of her letters, of course. We know so very, very much about this particular doctor of the church. Then she had another sister by the name of Leonie, who ultimately would become Sister Francois Therese in the order of the visitation nuns. Leonie had a very troubled life. She was in and out of convents, the Carmelites, the poor Clares, and finally the order of visitation, where they incidentally had had an aunt who was a member. And after overcoming many, many difficulties, Leonie did, li did lead a very happy religious life until an old age. So they were her four sisters, in addition to the youngest, St. Therese herself. They were all born in Alençon. When Therese was four and one-half years of age, her mother died. And the various older sisters became mothers to her, Marie and Pauline and so forth. But one of her earliest recollections was coming with her father, Louis Martin, to the bed where her mother had just died. It was the same room, incidentally, where Therese was born, the same room that you can see at the birthplace in Alençon. She knelt over to kiss her mother goodbye. That was one of the earliest recollections of her life. Now, it was not terribly long after her mother's death that the family moved from Alençon to the town of Lisieux, the town that we really associate with the remainder of the life of St. Therese. Why did they go to Lisieux? Mrs. Martin, Zélie Martin, had a brother by the name of Isidore Guerin. Isidore Guerin was a very prominent pharmacist in the town of Lisieux. In fact, if you're in Lisieux today, on the spot of the original Guerin Pharmacy, you will still find a pharmacy. It is not operated by, by family relatives, but it's curious that the pharmacy is right there. It's just a stone's throw from the great cathedral of Saint-Pierre, where, where Therese received her first Holy Communion, where she would go to Mass with her father and so forth each and every Sunday. The pharmacy is still there on the corner. Now, Isidore Guerin was a prominent pharmacist in the town, and he really persuaded Louis Martin to move his family there, and Louis Martin did, and they lived in a magnificent home called Les Buisonnets. You may go and visit Les Buisonnets today, and you can still get a marvelous feeling for the, the, the bourgeois atmosphere in which Therese was born, and the very, very comfortable life that she had. So she did live a very happy life in Lisieux. She went to the Benedictine Sisters School there in the town, said they were, they were probably the unhappiest years of her life. She was often made fun of by the other children because she was so religious, because she was so studious, and she would come home. And what would she do oftentimes in her pastimes at home? She would sit under the bed or at the base of the bed and spend long, long periods of time lost in contemplation with God. She once said that she never remembered five full minutes of her life going by from the time she had a childhood recollection until the end of her life. She never remembered five full minutes when the thought of God was not present to her mind. It's a remarkable kind of a thing. 
She had a typical growing up life. I mean, her, her family would often go to the shore, to, to, to Dovie, for example, would be one of the famous shore resorts that they went. She was a very, very beautiful young child, and her beauty was commented on on many occasions. One time she was with her older sister, Leonie, and, and uh, the, the, uh, Leonie had a, uh, had a basket or a bassinet, I believe it was, filled with toys and dolls and so forth. And she was thinking that her younger sister, Therese, was getting a little too old to be playing with toys and dolls. But nonetheless, she said to her, now, you can have anything in there you would like, Therese. And in, in a... Uh, Set of comedy, we'll call it. She said, little Therese said, I want everything. I want it all. Now you say, well, what, what's so significant about an incident like that? It was quite a significant incident because years later in writing her autobiography, she said that this particular episode with her sister taught her a great lesson. And this is what she wrote. This little incident of my childhood is a summary of my whole life. Later on, when perfection was set before me, I understood that to become a saint, one had to suffer much. Seek out always the most perfect thing to do and forget self. I understood, too, that there were many degrees of perfection. Each soul was free to respond to the advances of our Lord, to do little or to do much for him in a word, to choose among the sacrifices he was asking. Then, as in the days of my childhood, I cried out, My God, I choose all. Do you see how a simple little incident like that out of her childhood meant so much to her in her spiritual life? She always wanted to be a Carmelite. She wanted to follow the example of her sisters. As Pauline left for the convent, as Marie left for the convent, these were mother figures to her, and she, and she became distraught, really, uh, with the passage of each one of them, and she herself wanted to go. And there's a beautiful statue in the backyard of Le Buisonnet. It shows Louis Martin sitting on a bench and his little daughter kneeling next to him, and she's officially asking permission of her father that she might be able to, to go to, uh, to uh, the Carmel. And he grants it. He's tremendously honored that yet another one of his daughters could be given to God in religion. And it, it, it is at this point that he refers to her as a little flower. He pulls a, he pulls a flower up from the, uh, from the uh, uh, garden, and he gives it to her, and he refers to her as his little flower. This is where the, this is where the expression comes from. Uh, the, roots, the roots pulled right up from the stem. And she took that as a sign that she was to be uprooted from Le Buisonnet, and transported to the Carmel of Lysia. And then the stem broke. The stem broke very shortly thereafter. And when the stem broke, she took that as a sign that she was going to die young. And she was absolutely right. Many people know the story. I'm sure that she and her father and others made a jubilee pilgrimage to Rome to celebrate the jubilee of His Holiness Pope Leo XIII. Little Therese, you know, had been asking for admission to the Carmel when she reached her 15th birthday. And she was put on hold, to say the least. I mean, the bishop put her on hold, the vicar general. They didn't know what to make of this. And the, the French pilgrims went into an audience with, uh, with Pope Leo XIII, and uh, they were told, they were given specific instructions, do not say anything to the Holy Father when you enter. But this little girl had something very different in mind. She went up to Pope Leo XIII, she said, well, Your Holiness, would you please give me permission to enter the Carmel at the age of 15? And the vicar general was looking over the shoulder of the Pope, and he tried to brush her away. Oh, he said, Your Holiness, this is a little child, and the case is under investigation. And Pope Leo said to her, 
if it is God's will, you will enter the Carmel. And then she was undaunted. She said, but Holy Father, if you say that I can enter the Carmel, I can do it right now. And with that, she was whisked away from his presence. And today, priests all over the world remass in honor of Therese of Lisieux. We do not remass in honor of Leo XIII. Marvelous pontiff, though he was. He did not know that a saint was being ushered out of his presence. Well, permission, as you know so well, was indeed given. She entered Carmel on the 9th of April, 1888. You can still see the door as you, as you go into the chapel of the Carmel. You walk, turn, take a right, and go into the sacristy. And when you go into the sacristy, you see the door is still there that she entered. And if you walk a little further into the priest's vesting sacristy, you will see the original altar of the Lijou Carmel Chapel that she often took care of when she was the sacristan. So she entered then on the 9th of April, 1888. And in the following nine years of her life, the following nine years that she would spend in the Carmel, she truly became a saint. Therese is known the world over for the writing of her autobiography, The Story of a Soul. Many people think that she just sat down and wrote it. But the story of the soul is actually a book that consists of three parts. Manuscript A, Manuscript B, Manuscript C. The sisters were at recreation one evening, and, and uh, Marie uh, was sitting there listening to some of the marvelous recollections that Therese had. And Marie said to Mother Agnes, the superior, You know, you really ought to put Therese under obedience to sit down and write her childhood recollections. And, and Therese simply laughed. She thought they were all kidding. And Marie said, no, I'm not kidding, Mother. Why don't you put her under obedience? Mother Agnes said, very well, I will. You are under obedience to write your childhood recollections. It took her months to do it. She said she simply sat down and wrote whatever came out of her pen. You and I wish we could do something like that. Just sit down and write whatever comes out of the pen and produce a great spiritual masterpiece. She, she was not necessarily a Shakespeare or a Dante, but she produced very, very, very credible prose writing when she wrote her, her story of the soul. So she wrote her childhood recollections, and she gave them to Mother Agnes, and Mother Agnes took them, and she put them in a desk drawer and didn't look at them for several months. And Therese had absolute, total control over her curiosity. Never once did she say to her sister, Mother Agnes, by the way, what did you think about that manuscript I gave you? Not once. Well, that was Manuscript A. It was her childhood recollections. Manuscript B, which is about 12 to 14 pages, is the very heart of the autobiography. Her sister Marie said to her one day, Therese, what is this little way, the spiritual perfection that you're always talking about? Would you try to describe it for us? And she describes it in the heart of the autobiography. She describes, you know, she takes the, the letter to the Corinthians and shows how she is to be loved in the heart of the church. She's to be loved by praying for priests, by praying for missionaries, by, by offering her sufferings for souls. She talks about the great way of confidence. Confidence leads to love, and love leads one to God. She talks about a lift. Elevators were very, very new, and when she was on that pilgrimage, she saw these lifts, these elevators in hotels. She said, I want to lift up to God. I want to get there the quickest possible way I can. She describes all of this that we know so well as the little way to spiritual perfection, the way that she recommends to every soul in the world except people who are not spiritually perfect. She said there's something for everyone in the story of the soul except for those who have reached spiritual perfection. Now, if you're anything like me, you have a long, long way to go to get to spiritual perfection. 
So believe me, there's plenty for you and for me in the story of the soul. Well, Manuscript B was the heart of the autobiography, and that is where the little way is given to us. Then finally, Manuscript C was also written out of obedience, and Manuscript C would be her, her convent recollections. So you have A, B, and C. That becomes the, the autobiography in its entirety. Therese died on the 30th of September, 1897. And the autobiography, The Story of the Soul, as the world knows it, came out exactly one year after her death. It came out September 30th, 1898. And the sales were phenomenal. You know, you have the, to this day, you have the Bible, you have the Koran, and there probably are some other books that would be ahead of it. But we'll say this that of the top dozen books in world literature, this has probably been reproduced more often than any other book within that, within that category. Now, you could argue it might be three, it might be four, it might be eight. Who knows the exact number? But it is one of the greatest known biographies. It's been translated into every language. Millions of people have come to Christ as a result of the story of a soul, written by this young nun who never left her, her convent in Lisieux. About a year and a half before she died, on Good Friday, she had a hemorrhage of blood. It was late at night. She looked at her handkerchief the next morning and saw that it was filled with blood. She was coughing it up. It was the happiest day of her life. Imagine. Because she knew she was on her way to heaven. Well, that initiated the final year and a half of her life. The disease was tuberculosis. It would claim her life in a period when... Little or nothing could be, do, could be done for tuberculosis except to, to make the patient comfortable. And in this final year and a half, as she would get worse and her condition would weaken, and sometimes the suffering would become excruciating, she was also going through tremendous, tremendous spiritual torture. She was tormented. She, as a little girl, she'd been very, very scrupulous. And she overcame scrupulosity thanks to the, thanks to the uh, uh, intercession of her four little angels in heaven. But at the end of her life, it seemed to come back. She was tormented by the fact that when she died, all she would have was darkness. After death, that was it. We have no more. And that never left her until the very end of her life. But she could say at the end, her final words, My God, I love you. That briefly put is her life. Now what makes this remarkable young woman qualify to be a doctor of the church? Well, first of all, her tremendous emphasis on scripture. She loved the Canticle of Canticles. She loved the Gospels. She was a tremendously Pauline saint. She anticipated, she anticipated today's emphasis on Scripture many, many years before Catholics were reading Scripture. In fact, in her time, it would have been quite difficult to have your own copy of the Bible. She would literally pen to her habits scriptural quotations and verses and the like, and she would have them committed to memory. She had a phenomenal memory. She was not a professional scripture scholar, as you and I would understand a scripture scholar today. But she loved the scriptures. She knew them very well. She knew them very, very intimately. So she's a profoundly scriptural saint. Also, she emphasizes a tremendous love of the Blessed Virgin Mary. There was a contemporary who called her a ravishing image 
of the Blessed Virgin Mary. That's not a bad compliment for one of your contemporaries to give you. There was a, there was a gardener who worked in the, in the uh, convent of Lisieux, and of course the sisters would all be covered, you know, their veils would be covered down, it was part of the monastic life of those days, and the gardener said they would all walk by and they'd all look alike. But he could always tell when she walked by, there was some marvelous thing about her bearing. She just was so absolutely recollected. Well, she saw Mary as more a mother than a queen. And in that way, she anticipates Mary's role in your life and in mine. She talks about the call of each baptized person to holiness. In that way, she anticipated the council also with this universal call to holiness. She saw the church as the body of Christ. She saw heaven not as a static place, but as a very dynamic place of happiness. She knew she was going to be working, as we said at the beginning, until the very, very end of time. Her teaching on fraternal charity, her desire for a frequent reception of our Lord in Holy Communion, and most importantly, her spiritual trial of faith that has given everyone hope. There's a marvelous story about a priest who had great devotion to her, and uh, he was having a bit of difficulty in his own life, or, or at least concerns, and he went to make a private retreat, and in the course of the retreat, he went down to the, he was staying up in a home, he went down to the little village, went into the church to make a visit, and then he received an inspiration, and after he received an inspiration, he wrote out on a little piece of paper that inspiration that he had received, and this is what the priest wrote, there is need of a daily effort to live in the present moment to accept myself constantly with all my flaws and all my sins, no matter what I am or feel I am just now, knowing that God, who never changes, accepts and loves me. He wrote it out on a sheet of paper, walked out the door of the church, forgot what the church was, decided to take a look back. And what do you think he saw on the front door of the church? St. Therese of the Child Jesus. That's why she's a doctor. She did it for him, she can do it for you and for me.